Good morning. Good morning. Belated, happy Thanksgiving to everyone, and welcome to the Christmas season. How many Christmas lights violators do we have in the room today? <laughs> Put your lights up before Thanksgiving. No one's admitting it. You're fired. Get out. Um, I actually have some friends visiting today, so if you see someone strange sitting around you, it's not, they're not named Gary or Mary Jane, uh, you've never seen before, say hi to them. They're probably, they probably know me, and that's enough of a problem for them. So good to see you guys. Glad you came. Um, today's message is what you just sang. Um, this comes right out of my heart, and I, I sort of want to get right to it. As a backdrop, we'll be using Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. And uh, so if you want to go in there in your Bible, and if you didn't bring a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in front of you. So that's for your use. And the one thing I didn't do was get the page number for that. So does anybody know the page number for Philippians 3 in a pew Bible? 980 what? 981? 981. So you've turned to page 981, you'll see where we're going to be. And um, if you don't own a Bible and you're using that one and you just don't have one, when you leave today, take it with you. Just, we would be more than happy for you to have the Word of God in your hands and um, it's, it's our gift to you. So um, I'm not kidding. Take it with you. That would be great. So as I said, the passage is really just going to serve as a backdrop to what um, I want to talk about today and what I think God has laid on my heart and wants, wants me to talk about. So what are we doing today? I uh, never really do this normally, but the point of the message today is to show you why you should pursue knowing Jesus in the way he wants to be known and that you should seek to know him in that way every day, that you would know Jesus in the way he wants to be known. And I'm not saying that I'm there. I'm not saying I've, I've got it all completely figured out because I don't. In fact, according to what God has said, the day that I get there should be the last day of my life. And so um, if I reach that today, someone has to come and fill in for me. But um, that's called sanctification. And the idea behind sanctification is you start here when, when God saves you from your sin and you should continue to grow. You should grow to be more like Jesus every day of your life. That is called sanctification. And so um, that's kind of the idea behind a lot of this. Um, you want to grow. And knowing Jesus the right way will facilitate that. So, um, but because that relationship should grow, and what that means really is, like I said, your life should look more and more and more like Jesus' life. And it should look like that every day. And you're going to have setbacks. And you'll stumble at times, but at the end of your life, you should be so much more like him. It's not that you grow into a better Christian or a better this or a better that. You are more like Jesus. That's the whole goal of everything, is to be like Jesus. That's what God wants us to be. So um, it's also kind of sort of what we're talking about today. But as I said, this is what God laid on my heart for today. And really, um, this is what God has laid on my heart for decades you got to know Jesus. you got to know Jesus. But, and here's the thing, for Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you need, to, you need to know him as Lord and Savior. Not just, I know who Jesus is, I've heard of Jesus, I read about Jesus. No, you need to know him. That's everything. So that's what we're going to talk about today. It's been my experience that so many people don't know him that way as Lord and Savior. And so my heart has always been, always, I want you to know, I want you to know, I want you to know. And, and I, I think about the times I'm up here and I can remember that this kind of runs a thread every time I'm up here. It's like, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And there's been times when I've stood up here and said, um, analogies, it's like... Um, I'll pick on somebody, and I won't do that today. I'll pick on Ron. Uh, Ron Nolte, he's our farmer, okay? He tells really bad jokes, and it's, it's terrible. But that's who Ron is. If I stood here and I said, I don't believe that, I believe Ron won 
the gold medal in pole vaulting at the last Olympics. And you'd say, ain't gonna happen. And I would say, I don't care what you think. That's what I believe. How dare you question me? And you say, you're a lunatic. <laughs> but people do that with Jesus. Well, I thank God. One of the worst phrases you can say is, well, I thank God. And then assign things to Jesus, to God, that he's not. You would never want anyone doing that to you. So don't do it with God. And that gets back to knowing Jesus, knowing who he is. So again, that's what we're going to talk about today. And um, it just matters. It, it matters a whole lot. And having said that, um, I probably spent more time looking into this and, and studying than I have in years. But what happened really just in the last couple days was the deeper I got into this theologically, the simpler the message got, which was kind of cool. And so that's really where we're going to go. So I say that because we're going to look into Philippians here in a minute. And we do. If you're a, a theologian, you're gonna, it's going to drive you nuts because I'm, I'm going to skim the surface. I'm going to use it to talk about knowing Jesus. So let's look at this passage because it, takes, it talks a lot about knowing Jesus. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote these words, but it was God's Holy Spirit who inspired Paul to do that. And so I'm just going to read through these verses once, and then what I'd like to do is come back and go through them again at a much slower place, pace. So, Paul says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself has re have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm an Israelite. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal for God, a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but having that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, and that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, which sounds pretty cool, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So let's just stop here and let's pray. And I'm gonna pray for God to use his word for his glory, and you pray for me. Okay, so let's do that now. Father, I'm just some guy, and you have chosen to put me up here in front of your people, and I can't do it, but you can. Please speak through me. You, you speak through little me and get your message to your people. That is everything I have, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I said I wanted to go through that text again and try to explain a few things, so let's do that. Um, I really was hoping I didn't have to wear these, but I'm getting old. So um, verse 2 says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. All right, those who mutilate the flesh. The issue here was circumcision. When God set the Israel, Israelites apart and he called them to be his people, this was a ritual that he established as part of his covenant with them. 
In Genesis 17, it says, as God, or, And God said to Abraham, As for you, Abraham, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So that was a big deal to them. But circumcision was never a prerequisite for being saved from your sins. Still, because of their heritage, there were men who were, who were going around really wherever the, the, the church was growing and they were following people like the Apostle Paul and Barnabas who were spreading the gospel and they were saying, okay, you need Jesus Christ to be, to be saved, but along with Jesus Christ, you need to be circumcised. That's the only way to get to heaven. In the book of Acts, we read about this. Paul and Barnabas were spreading the gospel, and it says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. But after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, the church arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some others of them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this controversy. And there was a big discussion about this. It was the first official church council. Okay, and, and the issue was settled there that nothing, this stands today, nothing other than faith in Jesus was necessary for salvation. Nothing. If you add anything to the gospel, it's not good news. It's good news because it's faith in Christ that saves you. Adding something to that is it's not a gospel. So shifting gears a, a little bit, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians was written to the church that um, existed in the city of Philippi, hence Philippians. And he had founded the church there somewhere around 50, 58, 51 AD, I think. And while he was there, um, he did what seemed to come natural to him. He got arrested and thrown in jail. And um, in some way or another, some way, shape or form, that seemed to always happen to Paul. Um, because he was in some way, shape, or form sharing the gospel. And there was always an opposition. So he was there in Philippi with his buddy Silas, and they got thrown in jail for disturbing the peace, and they got beat. They were beaten with rods. These rods were like three-quarter inch, I think they were hickory or something, but, and they would beat you, beat you, beat you, beat you with these rods. And then they threw him in jail. And that happened to Paul a lot. So they threw him into this jail and um, the jailer decided to put him into the inner part of the jail. So no lights. I can't imagine much air is moving in there. Um, I don't think pest control would have been in, you know, high on their priority and I don't think sanitation probably was very good either. So here the two of them are sitting in this inner part of this nasty jail singing hymns and praying to God in the middle of the night. And that in itself, write that down or something and think about it. We don't have time to do that today, but they're serving God and they get thrown into a jail and they're sitting in the middle of this terrible place and they're singing hymns. What is up with that? What, how do you do that? That's something you should think about as you get to know Jesus. Um, we just don't have time to do it, though, but it is really a good exercise to do that. So, in any case, right in the middle of their midnight church, church service, okay, they're singing, an earthquake hits the jail. And the prison, it was a jailhouse rock. <laughs> Sorry, um, you didn't hear that, did you, jailhouse rock? Um, so, the prison guard, who we will surmise was listening to the two of them, he ran in and he asked uh, the most important question a person could possibly ask. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
They didn't say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be circumcised. They didn't say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and go out and do a bunch of stuff. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. That doesn't mean if you get saved, your family's saved. It means, yes, it's, you're not the only one. We'll go talk to your family. And they did. Okay, that's the point of that. Listen, nothing has changed about that in the last 2,000 years. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And we'll talk a lot, of more, a lot more about that as we go on. But for now, the issue in Philippi and really everywhere the church was growing was that people were being taught that you had to be circumcised. And that was wrong. The Jews really actually referred to themselves as the circumcision because they, they connected that with being God's people, especially being God's chosen people. And so Paul said no. And in verse 3, Paul says, we are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God and we who glory in Christ Jesus and we who put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, God's true chosen people are those who worship God by the Holy Spirit and who give praise and honor to Jesus Christ for what he did on the cross. And that's it. That's everything. That's how you get saved. And when he says, put no confidence in the flesh, what he means there is it, it, it's, there's absolutely nothing you can do to help yourself. Nothing. Okay? Um, circumcision, feeding the poor, doing wonderful Christian things won't get you in God's good favor. Nothing like that will. Believing will. And you, you think we... Our culture says you do good things, you get rewarded. You do well at work, you get a raise. You work hard, you get, you know, you get um, benefits, you get a lot more good things. So that is totally um, just wrong. It doesn't, that's not the spiritual way of doing things. It's not God's deal. Counterintuitive is what I was looking for. So we just believe, we trust that Jesus did it for us. That's the whole deal. And I'm going to back up for a second. We're talking about knowing Jesus. And this is kind of the, the, the baseline for knowing Jesus. That he did this for us. And we don't do it. And we can't do anything. And I think we need to remind ourselves sometimes that, hey, I had a good week. God likes me better. No. God loves you the same all the time. My wife has a friend named Julie. And Julie's son is addicted to heroin. And it's a mess. And, and every time she has lunch with Julie, she'll come home and, and like, okay, what's the, Julie, what's the latest with Andy? And he'll either be doing well or not. But every single time she says this, she says, my son did this and my son did that. No matter what Andy does, that's her son, right? It's the same when you're saved. You were a child of God what you do doesn't change that status. So you can't work your way into God's favor. Um, I got way off track here. Um, however, Paul says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, okay, boys, you want to play that game? Fine. You bring your stack of stuff and I'll bring mine because if pleasing God was a matter of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs and all that great stuff and you think that'll make God think you pretty, he says, ain't no man on the planet that's going to show up at the front door of heaven with a bigger stack than mine. And he says, that's not how it works. And then he gives his list and we just went through it. He was circumcised on the eighth day because that's what the law prescribed. He was an Israelite. He wasn't a foreigner. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was the hoity-toity bunch, okay? He, a Hebrew of Hebrews means his mom and his dad were both Hebrews. He was, a, he was a blue blood. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to being zealous for God, he persecuted the church. And as to righteousness under law, he said, I was blameless. So if getting to heaven on your own merit was possible, Paul had it covered. And here is where we start to get to what I really want to talk about today. Paul says, yeah, I had all that stuff, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, I grew up thinking, 
I could earn my way to heaven. That's what he thought. He said, I thought if I was a really good person, God would say that's good enough. And Paul says, but then I got to know Jesus. And I found out I was so wrong. I thought when I died, I'd sit down with God and I'd show him all my stuff, the stuff right on that screen there. And God would say, wow, that's really good. I'm impressed. That's what Paul thought. But you know what God says about all our stuff, folks? God calls our stuff good works. And he says they stink. You put all your stuff, all your trophies, all your medals on the table, and God says, this is disgusting. Why? Man, I worked hard for all this, and I did it for you, Lord. Why won't you accept this? And God says, because you and your stuff are saturated, dripping with sin. Because you are, by your very nature, a sinner. And so everything you do on your own, the best you can do is sinful. Doesn't matter what it is. But imagine this. Imagine you really are having this conversation with God, which you won't, but for the sake of argument. And God tells you all your stuff stinks. And then he looks on the floor next to you and there's a trash bag. God says, what's that? He said, I'd rather not talk about that. Why? Because that's the stuff I thought would keep me out of heaven. What is it? And you very painfully say, it's my sin. God says, put it on the table. And you don't want to because you don't want God to see your sin, right? But then you realize that he already knows what's in it. So you put it on the table and God says, open it up. And you don't want to because you were so ashamed of your sin. And a lot of the stuff in there is stuff you love. But when you open it up and you look at it with God's light shining on it, it looks a lot worse than it did before. But then it gets even worse because now you see yourself with God's glory shining on you. And it's not just your stuff. Now you see how sinful you are. And suddenly see, you see who you really are and that you're hopeless. And you cry. And God says, put all those trophies, put all those medals in your bag, put your circumcision in there, put your Hebrew of the Hebrews in there, put all your stuff in that thing, your zeal, working with the homeless, working at Little Kids Church, all the stuff that you do that you thought would impress me, put it all in the bag with the rest of your sin. And you're mortified. Right? You would say what Isaiah the prophet said when he saw God. Woe is me, for I am lost. But then you remember. You remember. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth's not in us. And I'm going to add, but. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so you confess your sins to God and suddenly your trash bag's empty. And you say, how could you do that? How could you just overlook my sin? And then you see Jesus and you see his Neil Pierce chance. And God says, I didn't look over, overlook anything. I didn't overlook anything. He paid the price for your sins. He died. He died in your place. And then by God's grace, you get it. 
And I think that's sort of what Paul figured out. So we take verses 7 to 8 and the beginning of verse 9. We get the whole thought here. here. He says, but whatever gain I had, Paul says, whatever gain I had, because he basically went through that. He says, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. And then he ups the ante. Now it's not just his accomplishment he's throwing out. It's everything. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I count them as rubbish. He says, folks, that's being real polite because that's not what Paul said. The word Paul used was something you don't want to step in, literally. I have suffered the loss of all things, and that's how I feel about it. Why? In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. And I want to show you something here, and this is me, something I just saw in the text, and I am greatly oversimplifying this, and I'm not a scholar, so don't take this to the bank, but Paul first realizes that he can't earn his way to heaven and that all his attempts were worthless, and this is what I see. He says, I count everything. In other words, what I had as loss, is that not on there? There it is, okay. Because of the surpassing worth, the, excuse me, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. But then he goes on. You know what? I have given up everything in order to belong to Jesus. So there's a progression there. And like I said, that's just me. I just saw that, that he started with, okay, I got rid of all the stuff I did to earn my way. And then he realizes, no, 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 I have nothing. And we need to get there. It's easier said than done. There's always this stuff that hangs around where you, you think, well, I do this and I've done that. And Paul clarifies. He says, no, 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 no. Everything goes. Everything goes. And so here we are. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If you saw at the very beginning, I, I, I don't know why I entitled this message, which I didn't really get into, but I call this message the infinite value of knowing Jesus. Because nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. Nothing. But again, Paul says, nothing's more important than knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I keep talking about knowing Jesus and knowing him in the right way. How you know Jesus matters. How you know him matters. Absolutely. Infinitely. Eternally. So, how do you know Jesus today? Only you can answer that. And to cut to the chase, do you know, do you today, this is my heart, folks, do you know Jesus as the Lord of your life? Do you know him in such a way that you could say to him, I know you went to the cross for me. I know God heaped on you the penalty for every sin I've ever committed and ever will commit. I know God's burning wrath against my sin was poured out on you. And I know that when you bowed your head and you said it is finished, paid in full, that my debt was erased gone but was it is that true can you say to Jesus I know it's true I know it's true because I know that three days later you rose from the dead and I know that that was the father's way of saying that sacrifice for John Tierney is acceptable and your debt has indeed been paid in full. Could you right now, as you sit here this morning, could you say to Jesus Christ, I know you're seated at the Father's right hand, and I know that because of what you did. And I know that your Father is now my Father. And I know that he loves me with a love that will never end. And I know that I am safe forever in your arms, forever.
because nothing can separate me from your love. Do you know that? If you know Jesus as your Savior and the Lord of your life, that's truth. That is absolute truth. You having a bad day? You having a bad week? You having a bad time? You're not walking with the Lord and you know it? You know, there was a season in my life where I flat out didn't walk with the Lord. I just left him. And he woke me up one night. I can't describe, but I know, I know God woke me up one night. And I went out and sat on the couch and I was like, why are you doing this? Why are you being faithful to me? When I'm not, I'm just walking in sin. I, I, I was 20 some years old and I still remember like it was yesterday. Why are you doing this? Because I had given my life to him and he wanted to let me go. And he brought me back. That's love like I can't understand. And that's our God. Do you know Jesus like that? Really and truly, really and truly, do you know him like that? Even if you do, there is more. Earlier, I showed you the passage where the jailer asked Paul and Silas what he needed to do to be saved. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now we have Paul saying he wants to know Jesus. So, two words floating around here. Believe and know. And I want to take a small amount of time here and talk about what those two words mean when God says them. And I'm, man, I'm speaking in very general terms here. Um, when God in his word says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, that doesn't mean that you believe Jesus exists. That's not what, that's not the connotation. Remember my story with God at the table? How could you forget it? It means that you acknowledge that you can't save yourself from hell. You need a savior. And that's Jesus. And as hard as it might be to accept this, it means that if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, that does it. That's it. That's all you need to go to heaven. But, but, along with that, it means that you give your life over to God. Several months ago, I, had, I said that to a friend of mine. And he said, I just don't know what you mean by that. Give my life to God. Do I quit my job? Do I sell my house? Do all kinds of crazy things? And I thought, okay, okay, I'm guilty of Christian speak. And people don't know what that means unless they're in the club, right? Um, gosh, it's like a guy who wears a shirt into a mall. It says John 3.16. And somebody walks up and says, who's John and what happens at 3.16 a.m.? 3.16 p.m.? You think that's crazy? It happens. I had someone told me that that happened to them. It said, Matthew something. Who's Matthew and what happens at 12? Whatever it was. People don't know. They don't know. You know when I got saved, um, I had a friend that went to Taylor University and, and I was hauling him up there all the time and, and I'd meet these people and they're like, oh, such and such is a believer. You know, and oh, is he a believer? Oh, she's a believer. You know, and I was like, believe what? You know, oh, you're a believer. Then I saw her face, right? Isn't that what you think? We're all thinking it. It's the monkeys. That's what I thought. I didn't know what they're talking about. Oh, you mean he's a Christian? Yeah. Well, why don't you just say he's a Christian? So when we talk to people, we need to keep that in mind, that we have kind of our own language, okay? Um, anyway, way off track again. Um, what does it mean then, really, to give your life to God? It means obedience to his word. I'm going somewhere with this. It means if God said it, you do it. And again, I'm really simplifying things here today. But you find out what, how God wants you to live. And you do that. You do it by reading and studying his book. And you do it by listening to people teach his word. And you spend time with other Christians. And it means you spend time with God in prayer. That's how you do it. It means you intentionally cultivate a relationship with him. It means you intentionally, you intentionally cultivate a relationship with Jesus Christ. Intentionally. That means effort. And you say, well, how do you do that then? I don't understand. Well, you do the things I just said, what I just mentioned. And you know what will happen if you do those things? You'll get to know Jesus in the way he wants to be known. That's what we're after. But right now, I want to show you pretty specifically why you should pursue Jesus. Because part of this was why should you pursue Jesus? I said at the beginning that the point of the message was to show you that. 
He wants to be known, and you should engage in, in that pursuit, getting to know Jesus. You should do it every day. And, and I've already mentioned a, a number of these reasons, um, but the ones I'm going to tell you are pretty special because Jesus is everything. My, my prayer right now, my prayer right now is that God would speak to your hearts through the words of my mouth. And ordinarily, that would be a big request, but we have a big God. And he does big things. So, Lord, be with me. All right, folks, you and I were created for God. I'm going to go through a litany of things here, okay? Look at this passage from Colossians chapter 1. It says this, um, Paul is happy. He's happy that the Colossians um, were doing good things. And like I said, very simple here. And he says, okay, since I found that out from the day we heard, we haven't ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the, the image, Jesus is the image of the invisible God Firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, we're getting there, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and all things were created for him. And that includes you and me. Why were we created? It says it right there at the end of the verse. All things are created through him and for him. Here's another thing. God desires to be worshiped. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, you're familiar with that story, he told her the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Here we go. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God wants to be worshiped. God deserves to be worshiped. You know why? Because he's God and he created everything. Um, I've been throwing this phrase around lately. The baby has to be fed. No matter what happens, you got to feed the baby. It doesn't matter how you feel, what you're doing. You got to feed the baby. And that's, it's kind of an almost crass um, example, but God needs to be praised. God needs to be worshiped because he's worthy of it. You worship God. You praise God because he is God. That's why we do this. You should pursue knowing Jesus because you were created through him and for him and because he's seeking people to worship him. Another reason is that God rewards those who pursue him. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You will never know the fullness of life until you give your life to Jesus Christ. And our culture says that is wrong, wrong, wrong. You will never know what God intended for you, what life should look like until you give it all to him. Paul got rid of everything. Please, if you hear anything today, hear that. Give everything to Jesus Christ. Live for him. And you will experience life like you never knew. The, the, the culture is so shallow. I don't know, I'm not a political guy, but people talk about first world problems. We don't have first world problems. We have ridiculously opulent, wealthy problems. It's, it's, it's nothing. Live for God. Live for Jesus Christ. You were created for his good pleasure. We are, we are commanded to love him. And we're commanded to love him with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and, and all our strength. We are commanded to do that. And Jesus said, that's the greatest commandment. But you know what? It's hard to love somebody you don't know. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites had finally crossed the line with God and all their sin, their idolatry, 
God judged them and, and Jerusalem was destroyed and it was awful. It was, it was awful. But before he ever judged them, he already told them that he was going to restore them, that he would, bring, he would you know, take them into Babylon for 70 years and then he would bring them back two or three generations later, but that he would bring them back. And it says in the book of Jeremiah, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. And some people say, well, that was just for Israel and that's fine. But then it says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that's all of us. You will find God now. Now, you would never ever seek him in the first place if he didn't waken you, if your heart was dead. God has to do a work in you, okay? But even at that, he wants you to seek him with all your heart. You know, if, if, if it was 12.05 and I'm still talking about Jesus, you're thinking, we, we're supposed to get out of here. We're not going to go to 12.05. But why are we like that? I'm the same way. What, what, I, I, I've done my time with God. This is how we do it. And I go home and I turn on the cults or whatever and I, I do my thing. And, and where does God go? What happens to God then? Live your life for God. I'll put my finger here so I don't get lost. Let me tell you something. When, when Abraham had his son Isaac, you know, he waited a very long time. And then God said, I want you to sacrifice him. And he loved his son. And that was terror beyond anything. And God says, don't do that because Abraham had, Abraham had learned obedience to God. He was going to do it. And God says, don't, don't, stop, stop, stop. But he had committed in his heart to obey God. And I, I was reading a guy that I really like and he said, I got to believe that things looked different to Abraham after that. When he had crossed the line to say, all right, everything is yours, Father. Everything is yours. Then it was easier. I can't sit here and tell you I've done that. The passage in Philippians that we're looking at, Paul referred more than once to his desire to know Jesus. Do you ever stop to think, though, that when he wrote this letter... He had known Jesus for de literally for decades, and yet he wants more. Do you know why Paul wanted to know Jesus more? It's because he loved him. And you know why he loved him? It's because he knew him. And the more he knew him, the more he loved him. And that just keeps going. And that's the approach God wants every Christian to take. You want to know what it means to know Jesus. There's a guy I love reading. His name is James Boyce. He's no longer with us. But he wrote these spectacular words about knowing Jesus. And this is not scripture, but I, I hope it hits you the way it hit me. Please get this. This is knowing Jesus the way God wants it done. He says, do you have a desire to know Jesus intimately? To wake up with him in the morning and to live each day with him and in his presence. There's only one inexhaustible person and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. People will disappoint us, but Jesus never will. It is entirely satisfying to know him. Those are maybe the best and biggest questions I've ever read in my life. Keep looking at them. How many Christians would say yes? How many Christians would say no? What would you say? How many of us would arrange our lives differently if this were true? I have worked all day on Sundays because of Monday deadlines, repeatedly. But how many people have quit their jobs because they never saw their families? Would they do it for God? I didn't. I didn't. How many Christians, you included, set aside 
an appreciable amount of time every day to spend with God. Are they Jesus freaks? I mean, are they zealots? What would God say? What would Jesus say about them? I was studying this whole concept of knowing Jesus and the word that came up repeatedly was experiential. James Boyce said it. um, Jesus wants to be a huge part of your life, heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm gonna take some things off here now, scriptures that show you this. In the book of Jeremiah, this is what Chris read this morning. This is what the Lord says. The wise man must not boast in his wisdom. The strong man must not boast in his strength. And the wealthy man must not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this. And this is so important, please see this, that he understands and knows me. See the deeper level? You don't just know who Jesus is. You understand him because you've gotten to know him because you've cultivated this relationship. How, is it, how important is it to know, to know Jesus like he wants to be known? From the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I have said these things to you. He's talking to his apostles. He's going to go to the cross in hours. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have a lot of trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has finally come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh. Why? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this, folks, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and that they know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's all about Jesus Remember the passage from Colossians that we looked at earlier? Let's look at it again. Verse 9, And so from the day we heard, Paul says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's part of knowing Jesus. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It is a privilege to be a Christian, an enormous privilege to be a Christian. It's not a burden. It's It's a privilege fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in that knowledge of God I'm talking about, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, not your own, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, again, a privilege to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Why should you pursue knowing Jesus? This is why. Because he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have a redeemer. We have redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins because God took us as sinful people who really wanted nothing to do with him. And he awakened us and he showed us and he said, I will take you from there to here. You didn't do anything. I did it. That's why you should pursue Jesus Christ. That's exactly why. I mean, are you kidding me? Can you believe that? Do you understand what he has done for you? Do you see what God has done through Jesus? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. To save the wretch like me? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Years ago, I was having a conversation with a couple of people about spiritual matters, and one of the people was referring to her life before God saved her. And in the midst of her story, she goes, I was lost. And man, it was just this moment in time where you hear in that one word, I've lost. You hear in a person's voice, you hear the realization of where they were and what God had done. And they get it, and they get it. And you hear that, I was lost. That's the work of God. If you understand that, if you've had that moment, don't lose it. It, I don't think it's a bad thing to once in a while look back at where you were before God saved you and to dwell on what Jesus did for you. You don't need to dwell on your past life, but you should dwell on not only what he did for you, but what he does for you and what he's doing for you. And praise the Lord what he's gonna do for you forever. But it's just not, it's not just what he did on the cross. 
It's the whole package. Why, why should you pursue Jesus? Look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. They're going to come up on the screen. You've probably seen these verses hundreds, if not thousands of times, if you know the Bible. And if so, it ain't going to hurt you one but to look at them again. So look at these. Paul the Apostle, who pursued Jesus with everything he had in his being. I hope I make, I hope I make it through this. He said, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who... Existing in the form of God, he was God in his essence, in the splendor and the beauty and the glory and the perfection of heaven. He didn't consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. He didn't like, oh, I want to hang on to this. Instead, this Jesus that I want you to pursue, instead that God wants you to pursue, he emptied himself. So let's look at this passage. Let's do what God wants us to do with his word by meditating on it. Let's grow in our knowledge of Jesus by not just reading this, but by asking questions of the text. It says he emptied himself. Okay, okay, he emptied himself. How? How did he, how did he do that? He did it by assuming the form of a slave. The God of the universe became a slave. Listen, Jesus didn't just come to earth and, and humble himself to do that. Jesus went from the perfection of spiritually, went from the perfection of heaven and came to earth and strolled around for 33 years in raw sewage because that's what sin is. It wasn't just that he humbled himself and came to earth. It was much, much more than that. Nevertheless, Jesus condescended to become a slave, the creator of the universe, the creator of babies and Rocky Mountains and Aurora Borealis and, I don't know, starfish, sunsets, the Milky Way, all that. He came down from above and he assumed the form of a slave, a slave to sinful little man who hated him. That's just not right. But Jesus did that taking on the likeness of men. And Paul says that when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself. Okay, again, how did he humble himself? How did the creator of the universe humble himself? He did it by first emptying self, himself, and then he did it by taking on the likeness of men, the creator taking on the likeness of his creation. And then he assumed the form of a slave to the point of death, even death on a cross, for this reason, I want you to see what happened here. Jesus left heaven and condescended and condescended and condescended for us, okay? And he did it all the way down to death on, his, on a cross. For this reason, then, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess, confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That amazes me. That's why you should pursue Jesus. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Are you serious? Here's another passage. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was around him. You know what? Slaves washed people's feet. Did you know in their culture, if you owned a Jewish slave, you could not force him to, watch, to wash someone's feet. That's how demeaning it was. The creator of the universe is washing people's feet. My feet. Unbelievable. So, of course, he goes to Peter, who said, what are you doing? And Jesus said, I'm gonna, you, don't, you don't get this right now, but later you'll understand. Peter said, no, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And, and Peter said, fine, and not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. 
And Jesus said, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. You understand what I've done for you, he said. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that's what I am. So now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a master greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Did you see the similarities between Philippians and John? Jesus started here. Jesus, Jesus left his place, his rightful place at the dinner, and he condescended, and God glorified him, and we're supposed to be like Jesus. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. That takes on all kinds of forms. It could be forgiveness. Who knows? And God will raise you up. Bend your will to Jesus. What I haven't mentioned is that you will love him. The more you know Jesus, you'll be like Paul, the more you'll love him. I want to close here. Um, I, don't, I don't put these verses on the screen, I don't think, but I didn't get to the last um, few verses of Philippians, but I, I wanted to mention something that I had not brought up yet. Um, verse 7 says, we went over this part, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We, we covered that. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rush, rubbish in order that I, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. Again, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection which sounds really good, and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any, any, any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. And, this one, and then Paul wrapped it up. He said, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I, I want to talk about that for just a minute. It seems like the last few times I've done this, I get to the end and something I have to say just rips me apart. <laughs> and I don't like that. So I'm going to try to get through this, okay? But in the last few years, I have seen people I know and people I care about. I have watched them suffer through unrelenting agony and unspeakable grief and sorrow and, and I joined them and, and we have joined them and, and, and I, I watched as they prayed unceasingly and poured out their hearts emphatically to God banging on the door in the middle of the night not going away exactly like God told us to pray praying God's promises back to him, begging for miracles, and not receiving what they so deeply desired. But in each of those situations, the grief that has followed, and let's just be honest, the grief that continues to dominate their lives in this season, this, this season that God ordained for their lives before the world was ever even formed is what the Bible says. This season when the yoke they've been given isn't so easy. And, and the burden they have is not so light. And you know what? In spite of that, you sit with them and you talk with them. And in the midst of that darkness that, that follows them to bed every night, and eagerly greets them every single morning when they wake up. And somehow, there's this light. There's this little bitty light in the middle of this great big darkness. 
And that little light carries them. And it will continue to carry them until they can start to walk again. When Jesus can set them down and they start to walk again, he's carrying them now. And he'll continue to carry them. And that light begins to grow. And slowly, very slowly, but very surely, it gets brighter and brighter. And that little light begins to invade that darkness. And in time, that darkness flees. You know why? In every one of those situations, these people, they know Jesus. It's not just the theology. It's not just the do's and don'ts. It's not just obedience. He loves you. Pursue Jesus with everything you have. Let's just finish and pray. Father, I feel so wretched because I can say these things and I, I don't do them. And I don't know how many here are like me. The only way, the only way we can ever turn everything over to you is with the help of your Holy Spirit. I want to know Jesus more than I know him now. I want to know him better than anybody. I can't do it without your help and nobody here can. If there's anybody here who just doesn't know him, that's your work and we ask that you would open their hearts to know that Jesus Christ can save their souls from hell. If there's anybody who needs help, there are people in this congregation who know you. God, encourage or whatever these people to ask the person next to them, help me, I don't know. I don't know about Jesus. This is all for your glory. Help us all. I thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for everything in his name. Amen.